Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, Matt and Ryan look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words! Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to Fill the space between a hard place and a rock is all we do but we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? A trips to telephones that are no different to you. Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself, a podcast about getting things right. My name's Ryan Placetti, and my number one passion in life is disentangling you from the Gordian knot of the Internet's bullshit. And I'm Matt Sainting here to walk you through what that sentence means that Ryan just said. <laughs> uh, can you explain to them what a Gordian knot is? Matt? Well, I, I I assume it has to do with uh, like a like on the vine, like a gourd, like a pumpkin or something like that. So a Gordian or so Gordian knot comes from the Gordo era of I have no idea, man. <laughs> it, 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 it sounds um, like is it some is it a nautical term? No, no, this is this is from your classical Greek history. So Gordius oh. was I know, right? So Gordius was a Phrygian king. Father, King Midas, actually. I thought I thought Gordius was a bullfrog, was a very good friend of mine. I don't know who your fucking friends are. Uh, oh, yeah. You're my you're my only friend these days, right? <laughs> Who's this Gordius guy? Do you have a podcast with him, too? Uh, I hope he croaks. Better not fucking, you know, he was an ancient Greek guy, so probably not. The tale of the Gordian knot involves a probably apocryphal story of Alexander being invited to untangle the Gordian knot, and he takes out a sword and he cuts it. A Gordian knot is a seemingly intractable problem, which can be solved just by changing your way of considering the problem. I gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So I'm glad you were here to interpret that for the for the audience. No, exactly. Yeah. I feel like I'm already <laughs> failing in the first whatever minutes, you know. Hey, if I can make you look good, I would have done my job. Well, <laughs> and I think I just did by making me look bad by default, so... I'm here, you know, self-flagellating humor is like the most, be- is the best and the most reliable way to get a laugh. No, so. it is. And I'm so proud of you for getting so many laughs from me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm going to give you an easy transition into our first topic because this is me after three mimosas. You know, I know we were talking about uh, drinking mimosas this morning. Uh, I'm on my second cup of coffee. I actually have, have not had any alcohol yet today. All right. Well, that's. That's kind of a problem, Matt, because our agreement, our agreement was we would drink mimosas throughout this episode and then tell people periodically how many mimosas we've had. I'm going to go ahead and push back on that because I kept the receipts and we had talked about that. But the last time we talked about uh, drinking on the podcast, I said, I'm not really looking to get drunk. And I said, maybe I'll have a beer. Maybe I'll have nothing. And you said, I'm going to drink what feels right. And so uh-huh. I said, okay, I will drink what feels right. And this morning I woke up and what feels right is zero mimosas for me. So that's how I interpret that. Full disclosure, I have not had three mimosas. So you're a fucking liar. Then. I've had two Bellinis, one mimosa, and I'm about to start my second mimosa, fourth mimosa-like cocktail. I do like mimosas, and it's a good segue to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Kind of going to be an alcohol-packed episode, but judging by your presence here, it doesn't seem like I'm going to get too much pushback on that. 
no, I'm going to be very pliant in my inebriated state. So you need to be extra careful to not take advantage of my loose morals and looser drinking habits. No, I will go ahead and since I have been drinking, I'll take this opportunity to drive the conversation, if you will. But this TikTok that kind of surfaced recently showed a, a young white woman who is presumably at brunch. She films herself. It starts with, this is me after four mimosas. And then this is me after, I think, six. And then seven. And then that's when things kind of go off the rails. There are other people, too. She's not just drinking alone. No, correct. She is at brunch to her with phone. people, filming herself getting day drunk. It's a social setting. She's not, she's not like, well, I don't know if she's an alcoholic, but she's not an obvious alcoholic. Uh, she may be. Well, I don't want to really pass judgment because this is like a 40 second, second TikTok, so don't have a whole lot of information there. I mean, I, I've seen this TikTok and I'm perfectly comfortable passing some judgments, maybe not on her relationship with alcohol, but certainly on her decision making process. I'll let you finish telling folks. Oh, about no. Yeah, this. And people should know this has been viewed more than four million times and I'm at least a million of them. I saw it over and over again. It is crazy. <laughs> but uh, so after the after the seventh mimosa, you see this young woman and someone's filming her. You see this young woman start to climb what looks like a stone memorial. It's some sort of public works that has given her a literal leg up to cl to climb onto the shoulders of a male companion. Of a man in a red flannel. Yeah, and he's carrying her around like a three-year-old at a street festival. Well, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, you don't really see too much of that. But the next thing you see is this woman, the seven mimosa woman, in a car with a bloody mouth and what appears to be at least four teeth missing. I counted three, but we're we're literally counting the blank spaces in her mouth. <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of hard to uh, i'm not sure if one was a sharpie or not if it was actually like lost a tooth you don't know if she has big teeth or little candy corn teeth so it could be you know anywhere from three to four and we should be clear that we do not see the moment of impact but we believe she did hit rock bottom if you know what i mean <laughs> and she fucking hit something and she she hit it face first the America is the only country in the world where you can drink seven mimosas and get a $7,000 dental bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's an expensive mimosa. It's mimosas. You know, I feel like a small price to pay for uh, bottomless mimosas, right? Yeah. You don't ever see the moment of impact, but we do see the alleged aftermath. Uh, and she just looked like she got in a hockey fight and lost bad. She might have been there with her dad. There is an older gentleman who, who announces the number of mimosas that he had. Yeah. And, and you can hear somebody, presumably that older, that, that older authority role model figure saying you're going to be okay. Again, we're not here to pass judgment. It could be a sugar baby, sugar daddy situation, right? The rack of teeth that are missing uh, didn't really last for long because this woman seemed to have gotten her dental work done. Uh, she revealed her smile to the world. It, it looks fine. So Look, either, if you're the type of person drinking seven mimosas in a single sitting, odds are you have dental insurance. This is not to shame anybody who doesn't have dental insurance, who enjoys seven or eight or nine or ten mimosas. I'm not one to judge. I'm currently drinking my fourth. Whenever I have been at brunch and gotten bottomless mimosas, which is like almost every single time I've been at brunch, the first question the server asks is, you, you have health insurance, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll be totally fine. <laughs> I, I like that the healthcare system in America is so bad that random strangers providing basic services for you feel inclined for liability reasons. To inquire about your insurance status. Yeah. Well, I don't have insurance, but I do plan on starting a GoFundMe. So kind of basically, right? 
Um, no, but uh, this woman, she revealed her her smile to the world. She said in a TikTok, I'm fine. They put the teeth right back in and put glue across my whole upper. What are you doing? What are you doing? I, I, I had a joke that's not going to fit in later. OK, I'm just trying to get to the thing, but OK. I I can. Compl- you know what? I completely get that. Well, now we're already here. So let's hear your lame joke. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid because I care. I'm just kidding. Um, but l- l- let me know when I should continue. Uh, since you've been drinking, let me know when I should continue driving. <laughs> it would only be appropriate for you to be like, hey, take this turn. Can we go to McDonald's right now? <laughs> oh, I wish I could remind it because I, I completely forgot what I was going to say, but it was super important. Oh, good. At the time. Um, it was um, a good oh, one. Good. It was yeah. a good one. I promise you. I promise you it was so good. Okay. Well, let's, tr- you know what? Your joke could never be as good as the laughs we've gotten thinking about this joke. So I think we should leave it at that. It, it can never live up to what just happened. Oh, no, this is totally staying in the podcast. I want oh, people yeah, to understand so. our process. Yeah. It's it's me occasionally trampling you while yep. you try to advance the narrative. While I'm trying to just be like, shut the fuck up, you drunk bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm by no means drunk. I have a no. Very, very high tolerance for alcohol. And it wouldn't be a problem if you were. It wouldn't be a problem if you were drunk either. So no. I'm not here to shame. I'm no. not here to shame. But um, I think how I think that's extremely horrifying of an image is gluing teeth. But maybe this is how it's done. I don't know. I'm not a dentist. Kind of reminds me of another video that I saw last week involving a woman without teeth. Oh, uh, <laughs> where is this going? I let the silence hang in the air for just long enough for you to make a porn connection. And then now I'm going to stop you and say, this isn't about pornography. Uh, So this other video that I saw earlier in the week was actually about a woman who didn't have dental insurance, or at least didn't seem to have dental insurance. So as a teenager, she went through a rough time. She got involved in drugs and she got meth mouth. For lack of a better word, I don't know what drug she was on. I'm just making some assumptions based on the condition that her teeth were apparently in. Meth mouth is not the politically correct term, but I think everyone knows uh, what it means when we say it. Yeah, that is an absolute, completely relatable shorthand uh, that I'm, I'm I'm pretty comfortable using in the in this circumstance. Yeah. So this woman had gone to a dentist to get her teeth fixed. And the dentist basically said, there's nothing we can do for you. And these teeth are potentially dangerous. And he pulled all of her teeth. Oh, that's terrible. Like this woman couldn't eat like everything that she ate had to be liquid basically. So she was living off of protein shakes. This dentist comes in and first of all, he, he got a hold of her dental records. He's like, they did not need to pull all this woman's teeth. Oh, that's terrible. So he gave her a full set of teeth. Like a vine- like fake veneers or something like that. Well, she had she went from no teeth to all teeth, and I'm not a dentist, so I, I don't know exactly how that works. But he gave her a full set of teeth, Could be dentures or something, and just the difference. And like she she looked like she was probably in her mid to late 40s at the start of the video because she had no teeth. At the end of the at the end of the video, she's she's just absolutely beautiful. Her face is fuller. And the dentist takes her out to like her first meal and she just chops into a sandwich. And it's one of the most satisfying things ever. I raise this uh, like I bring this video up because I I think it's an interesting comparison because one woman lost her teeth because of, you know, albeit albeit an acute substance, substance abuse related accident. And this other woman lost it because of a chronic substance abuse related accident. And, And we tend to treat those things differently. 
a fairly well-to-do person with a with a strong support network and dental insurance can go out and make a mistake, whereas a poor person without that same degree of financial and interpersonal support can't make a mistake. I think that's a great point. First of all, the TikTok in question of the woman losing her teeth after mimosas kind of reeks of privilege on some level, right? She's out, she's drinking, she's with a big family, it's a high dollar brunch, you know, and then and then she's able to kind of like laugh and make a joke about like smashing her front row of her teeth. And I think, you know, most people who that happens to wouldn't be so quick to joke about it, which kind of makes me doubt that if this is even a hoax or not, right? It could be. It could I don't, be, I don't you know? think it's I don't think it's a hoax. I think that she had the support network in place to be able to deal with yeah. an accidental trauma. If I was being traumatized, I wouldn't want to put a microphone or a spotlight on that personally. Well, she's taken the video down since then, so maybe she had second thoughts. I think that the comparison there between those two videos is important. For sure, absolutely. You yeah. know, you also have to you also have to consider that other woman who had her all of her teeth pulled as a matter of expediency by one dentist. That affects your employability. She looked like she was on drugs because she couldn't eat food and she had no teeth. So she was rail thin and toothless. Nobody, nobody is going to make her the first choice hire for a public facing position. Your face and your hair and is how you present yourself to the world and your smile and your teeth is a big part of that. So absolutely. I think that brings us to kind of like a, a main topic we're going to talk about today is have you heard of this phenomenon called California sober or Cali sober, Ryan? I have heard of it. I read the headline. I sent it to you and said, Matt, I think this would be a great episode topic. And then I did not read the article and I let you read it. Take notes so you can present it to me and I can learn it in real time. California Sober is an alternative to kind of the traditional 12 step program. But from what I found, it is that you don't drink alcohol too much, right? Maybe you have a glass of wine at dinner. You do partake in cannabis. Uh, and you also, some people say it's okay to go on the occasional psychedelic trip, like once or twice a year, and still be what is known as California sober. Alcoholics Anonymous is really the the benchmark for sobriety programs and abstinence-based sobriety programs. And it was started by a guy named Bill W. way back in the day. Uh, the W stands for whatever his last name is. <laughs> oh, it's anonymous. Uh, it's anonymous. He's anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an anonymous yeah. alcoholic. And it was found, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous was founded in 1935 in Akron, Ohio. It is the most prolific addiction treatment that you find. There are 50,000 chapters of AA na- nationwide. As you said, AA has been a model that they've exported from everything from like gambling addiction to sex addiction to narcotics anonymous, right? But they really do hit you over the head with spirituality. Uh, several steps specifically mention God, being able to give yourself to a higher power, surrendering your flaws to God is, is the language they use here. What I think is interesting about that is a lot of times this addiction counseling and support groups and therapy is actually mandated by the courts. So you actually have courts essentially mandating you to get into a 12 step program and requiring you to essentially take part in a religious function. That's a great point. And I think it is court mandated. So I think another side, another thing to, to consider is, does it work? What's the efficacy of it? And I know according to AA, according to their, their big book, they have about a 50% success rate. That's what they say. That sounds like a lie. Another 25%, they say, stay sober after some relapses. 
but there was a, an independent study in 2014 found that uh, of a 6,000 members who were a part of this AA study, 27% were sober for less than a year. So yeah, it, it is mixed at best. But I it's think- one of those things where the power of their brand and the, yeah. the, the, the conviction with which they express themselves actually ends up creating the narrative. AA and 12-step programs have dominated the narrative of addiction in America since the 1930s. And a lot of that just has to do with being first on the scene. Paradigm that the 12-step programs use for addiction is you are not in control. You can't have one drink because of this disease, and we're going to help you and support you. The question I have is, is this a new paradigm shift, or is it just like a wellness fad that's going to be gone in a, in a little bit? Yes, that is a form of sobriety. Yeah, I think is definitely sobriety is what you make it. I think Americans think of sobriety as binary. It's it's a light switch. Either you're sober or you're not. Like most binaries, the closer to truth is it's more of a spectrum. Yeah, not everything's a straight edge. Sometimes you got to throw a curve in there. Nice, nice. Differences between, you know, traditional notions of sobriety and what is known now as California sobriety is I think it really has to do with the person being in control or not. There are people out there who would self who call themselves addicts or recovering addicts. And some people just cannot have one glass of wine at dinner. Some people just can't, you know, smoke some marijuana without it leading to some harder things that could be troubling that allows them to spin out of control. So I think California sober really makes sense for people who have this self-control or are able to do this. And with that, I think a traditional addiction specialist, some out there would say that California sober is not a accepted uh, form of sobriety, but I think that is a kind of antiquated. So, I mean, obviously we've already juxtaposed this against 12 step programs. I'm going to do a little tangent here. Yeah. I was at the VA a couple years ago. Actually, I was at the, uh, VA in is a VA in North Carolina and they had a pamphlet on alcoholism. So I, I was bored. I was waiting. So I picked it up. I was taking a shit. So I took a pamphlet. I was I was taking I was taking a shit in the lobby <laughs> and I reached over to the rack and I I pulled this pamphlet out and they had a list. There It's just like a little bullet point list signs that you might be an alcoholic. Uh-oh. Okay, so I think, can I guess some of these? Yeah, go ahead. You, you can guess. I, I don't I don't know that I remember all of them. There's just two that stuck out for me. There's two in my mind that stick out, and I think what the VA would say, or what people who follow traditional addiction paradigms are, is does it mess with your ability to maintain personal relationships, and does it mess with your ability to work? I think these are the two things, right, that, 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 that kind yeah. of jump off the page. And I, I mean, at least one of those things sort of speaks to our capitalist understanding of the value of humans means of production work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah your ability to be a productive member of society and your ability to associate with people. But the two bullet points that stuck out for me that I thought were kind of entertaining is one was if you find yourself drinking alone. Mm. And then the next bullet point was if you find yourself making plans to drink, it's just like, well, yeah, of course you're going to drink alone if you don't make any fucking plans. <laughs> yeah, this is more like an antisocial thing, I feel like. I would actually be more worried about the person who ends up not drinking alone after not making plans. Because that means they're going to the bar so often they run into somebody that they know every time that they're there. If you're drinking heavily alone, maybe I can kind of see that. But I think having one or two at the end of the day at home, if you're alone, I think it's, there's nothing wrong with that. No, right? not, not at all. Anyway. So I, I um, thought the characterization there sort of set people up for failure and to immediately think I'm an alcoholic. 
But that's yeah. that's kind of that's kind of what AA and twelve step programs do. They try to convince you that their system is applicable to your situation. Absolutely, and it's a it's a one size fit all thing. Absolutely. Keep in mind, AA has you know it's a it's a multi million dollar venture, and grant it, they're not making money hand over fist. So but they do have yeah. they they yeah. do have a twelve point five one million dollar annual budget as of two thousand eleven. So it's it's not without concern for self-propagation. You know, this doesn't just exist floating out there in the ether waiting for somebody in a moment of personal crisis to reach out. AA is an organization that is constantly reaching out and trying to draw new members in. I don't know if it's fair to say that they recruit people, but they, they definitely have a network, a growing network for sure. I, I would say that they recruit. They are an evangelical organization, if not in the directly Christian sense. Of, yeah. of trying to you know lead people to Jesus Christ, although it definitely has Christian roots. Christianity isn't; it, it's sort of a non-denominational universalist. Exactly. As long as you agree, or as long as you accept that there's some higher power, some form of God, right? Yeah, it could just be a an idealized notion of human consciousness. Well, you would think that. I mean, that's kind of like the Unitarian right definition of it. But I think three or four steps in it specifically mentioned capital G-O-D. And so that, that's that, that's more specific than grasping a higher power, I think. Now, the question I have is, is this going to be a fad or is it like a wellness fad or is this going to be something that kind of stays with us forever um and i i just think you know gwyneth paltrow's snake oil company goop I don't know if you've heard of this. uh but they have propagated california sober right and so i definitely think there are there are i mean there's more cannabis shops opening in california right i think there's definitely a way for people to make a shit ton of money by saying oh you know we can come have a puff puff have a here have a glass of wine this is like you can imagine a california sober shop right where they just only allow one bottle of sale per day or something like that. Right. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's I think it's with us to stay because there are people who are living that lifestyle yeah. without putting a label on it. I think they put a label exactly. on something like yeah. there are some people who just don't like the taste of alcohol. Sure. Yeah. And they might say, oh, I don't drink. And then somebody might say, oh, but you smoke weed. And, you know, not everybody is approaching it from a standpoint of addiction versus not addiction. Right. Right. You know, it's it's more of a it's more of a lifestyle thing because maybe they feel out of control on alcohol, but they don't feel out of control when they smoke marijuana. Maybe they throw up when they drink alcohol. Maybe they don't throw up when they smoke marijuana or do psychedelics. Yeah, maybe they're allowed to eat some magic mushrooms two or three times a year and able to have that one experience and then go on with their day and their week and their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's going to be with us one way or another because not everybody likes alcohol. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's just like cigarettes. You fucking knew it was bad for you because what's the first thing that happens when you smoke a cigarette the very first time? You throw up. That's what happened to me. Oh, well, most people just cough, but you're an overachiever. Yeah, no, I feel like I'm more of a, I feel like I'm very nicotine intolerant. Nicotine and caffeine, if I have two cups of coffee, I'll feel jittery like I feel right now. Um, And if I smoke a cigarette, I just get nauseous almost immediately. So I've never really picked up the habit. I think the other way that I would... Uh, look at this is, you know, we're looking at California sobriety as it relates to 12 step programs and what we would consider to be yes, traditional yes. American concepts of sobriety. But there are other forms of sobriety and abstinence that are out there, specifically religious prohibitions. So uh, in the case of Muslims, alcohol, 
in the case of Mormons, it gets a little bit more broad. Like caffeine, right? Well, you start getting into caffeinated beverages like soda, coffee, and tea. Yeah, yeah. The origins of, I guess you would call it Mormon sober. Utah sober? Well, actually, there are probably as many Mormons in California as there are in Utah. It's probably. Yeah, yeah, but but the ones in Utah have more power than the Mormons in California. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, like, Mormon sobriety is actually a really amazing historical wormhole to fall it's, it's down. an interesting historical wagon to fall off, fall off. <laughs> yeah, just fall off that wagon you chuck a wagon you fall off it we're making oh, chuck a wagon a thing nice. now if you if you don't get the chuck a wagon joke please uh listen to our previous episodes episode, that's, uh, don't uh, episode yourself. one gi snow episode oh yeah episode uno please listen yeah. to it <laughs> the dietary prohibitions of uh, Mormonism actually kind of predate Mormonism. All right. So what you have is in the 1820s and 30s in basically upstate New York, you have a series of religious movements that pop up. You've got Seventh-day Adventists, the Shakers. Shakers, they're the ones who don't believe in producing. They don't believe in having sex at all. So they all died out, They they did eventually stop making new Shakers because people were like, no, I still want to fuck. Shakers forever. Well, not not, not, not really. I love God. I love dietary restrictions, but I still want to fuck. And that's why the Shakers didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you have the Seventh-day Adventists, the Methodist, Shakers, Oneida Sex Cult, and the Mormons. And a lot of them are actually being influenced by a guy named Sylvester Graham. Uh, sounds like a guy you would buy a Graham from. <laughs> like Sylvester. Uh, okay. Well, you would buy a Graham from him, but you'd buy a Graham cracker. Oh, oh, it's spelled that way. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Well, no, the Graham cracker is literally named for Sylvester Graham. Oh, that the more you know. That's that's interesting. And fact. so is granola. And wow, I feel like graham crackers are also pretty addictive, so it fits in well to what we're talking about. (laughs) What happens is this guy, Sylvester Graham, during the 1820s and 30s, is touring around the country. And his basic philosophy is that disease and debility are caused by sins of the flesh, specifically sexual and dietary sins. The belief that certain foods and preparations could inflame sexual impulses. Uh, he he prescribed cold, bland meals and beverages, no alcohol, no tobacco, etc. Wow. All right. You're really going after the aphro- aphrodisiacs is really what this is. The, the idea is that hot foods are going to inflame your sexual impulses. You can see this like comes out in Seventh-day Adventists, like lots of vegetarians in the Seventh-day Adventist movement. The Mormons, incidentally, also enacted prohibitions against smoking hot drinks and a pearl of great price, which is basically the sayings of Joseph Smith, sort of the Haditha of the Mormon church. He warns against smoking and hot drinks. Yeah. Inject some devil in you. It's devil juice. Yeah. The underlying idea, the understanding of people in the mid 19th century is that those hot drinks are going to make you cheat on your wife. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens is once you get into the 20th century and you have the introduction of soft drinks and the discovery of caffeine people in the 20th century don't have that same cultural context as sylvester graham going around the country and giving lectures on hot I think, drinks i think they allow pepsi right the, the mormon church allows pepsi right uh that's that's i'm i'm pretty sure that's a myth that the mormon church owns pepsi no that they allow it not that they own it the way i've heard the myth is that the mormon church has a financial stake in pepsi and so that they uh, so they allow it 
or they have reconsidered. I haven't seen anything. Uh, generally speaking, most Mormons, uh, it's not a strict prohibition against soft drinks. So in t- I know in 2012, the Mormon church allowed caffeine. They had a statement that they released that says uh, the church does not prohibit use of caffeine. Um, and the faith's health code references to hot drinks does not go beyond coffee and tea. Oh, okay. All right. I was unaware of that change. The last time I attended a Mormon church convention was probably 2001. You, you do your research after drinking a few uh, mimosas. And so that's why you didn't get that little tidbit. And I did. <laughs> no, no, I, I've actually attended a uh, church wide convention. Must have been a party. It was a thing that happened. I've done a, I've done a lot of dabbling religiously speaking. I think to, to kind of close out Kelly Sober thing, I, I would say that it is absolutely true that you know this is a potentially a viable alternative to people. Kind of if it's right for you, I think people people might know or might not know. You know if uh, if this is right for you, but I would say that I think there are stricter versions and definitions of sobriety that. People would say that Cali Sober does not include. So I kind of wrote down some other things that have strict rules that oh. would be more lax in a California rule. So I say uh, California vegan uh, is when you're vegan, but you only eat egg whites and tuna tartare. <laughs> I also have uh, California gluten free is when you only eat cronuts, only the cronuts, <laughs> you know. Um, actually, I think gluten free originated in California for sure. So it probably would be legit. Gluten free um, is like, I'm going to eat starches, just not those starches. Yeah. Yeah. The ones in a cronut, the ones that are more refined. The only thing refined about a cronut is the sugar. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And the, and the butter probably got a fuck ton of butter. <laughs> California monogamy is when you, uh, have a threesome twice a year. California fidelity <laughs> is when you, when you cheat on your partner with somebody, the opposite sex of your partner, because if you're, if you're a man married to a woman and you have sex with a man, that doesn't count. Oh, oh. And if you're a man married to a man and you have sex with a woman who cares oh yeah (laughs) i think the key here is that sobriety is an individual choice and it has to adhere to an individual standard and trying to create a cookie cutter system a one size fits all thing yeah yeah a one size fits all thing isn't going to fit everybody's circumstances or relationship with substances Uh, despite its branding a one size fit all solution does not fit all <laughs> we're talking to you yeah. magnum condoms um well um, yes i get in there but there are some quality of life issues yeah, more people buy magnum condoms that need it i'll just <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it I'll, I'll leave it at that do you know do you know how i know that magnum condoms is still in business that's how i know yeah. that. <laughs> either that or the people who do need magnum condoms just get to use them a lot the rightful heirs to magnum condoms <laughs> No, but I think I think this brings us to uh, let's talk a little bit about alcohol consumption, both in the United States and globally. For those of you keeping track at home, I have moved on to my fifth mimosa, which, like many of the mimosas before, is not a true mimosa. I've run out of sparkling white wine, a.k.a. champagne, if you live in America. But otherwise, it's a protected appellation. If you live in the European Union, and I hope that we can expand to a more international listener base over time. This is a Belgian wit mixed with orange juice. It's a beer mosa. It's a beer mosa, sometimes called a man mosa. But mm. if you're distinguishing between girl drinks and boy drinks, you're a piece yeah, of shit. Yeah, there, there's no such thing as I don't need. No one needs their penis to fucking drink. It's not like a straw. Oh, my God, if I could. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it'd be way easier. No, I but I actually took the opportunity f- uh, during this commercial, not so commercial break to get a beer. And it's a it's a it's a beer from a brewery in Utah. So it ties in with our Mormon discussion quite well. Oh, 
Lovely. Um, which beer is that? Uh, it's is it is it Yunta Brewing Company? Is that how you pronounce it? I, th- I think it's Uinta. Uinta. Okay. It might be Winta. It's whatever you're into is what it is, right? But uh, <laughs> 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 no, it's a, it's from Yunta Brewing Company. It's a pina colada milkshake pale ale. I don't really get the flavors of coconut or pineapple, but it, it is a good drink, and I like the texture with, that the lactose gives it. So I am I nice. am drinking a Tropicana orange juice splashed into a glass of orange oh, street wheat nice. from Sterling Pig Brewery, my former alma mater. Yeah, so I think this this is a good time to talk a little bit about alcohol consumption, uh, both worldwide and in the United States. They call me Mister Worldwide when it comes to alcohol consumption. Yes, Professor Three Hundred Five, as, as you're as you're as you're known. Um, <laughs> no, so I sent you this article again earlier this week. We talk every day, by the way, for people out there. Like, again, these guys send each other a lot of news shit. And I was like, yeah, we, we identify our- probably twelve podcast topics every week. Every hour. And then we end up we end up actually doing two of these topics any given week. Um, but the article I sent you uh, had to do it was it was an Irish uh, article from Ireland. Um, imagine that. And an Irish article from Ireland. Yeah. Well, usually it's an Irish article from from like the United States would sound pretty accurate. Right. There's more there's more more people that an identify- Irish article from the United States is just an American article that you've dumped green food dye into. Yeah. I've, there are more people that identify Irish in the United States in Ireland. So like it's kind of, you know, <laughs> anyway, but no, um, it has to do with, um, how much alcohol the country drinks. It kind of is a, f- a figure that kind of shook me a little bit. Uh, the equivalent to 40 bottles of vodka per person per year, but that only makes them the ninth highest alcohol consumption in the world. So I just think that it, it seems kind of crazy to me. I will tell you, you sent me that and 40 bottles of vodka does seem like a lot. However, yeah, yeah. they're actually calculating, uh, calculating that based on the total volume of alcohol that people drink. So your standard bottle of vodka is going to be 80 proof, which is a fun way of saying 40 percent alcohol. Yeah, it, it's a fun way of, of having to do math when you're drinking, which is never fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, let's make it harder. Oh, yeah. Well, I know like retail sales in uh, the United States, like just buying bottles at liquor stores skyrocketed. And I definitely did that this year. I, I haven't I still haven't been inside of a bar since this whole pandemic started, but I've definitely gotten creative buying all kinds. I have like a mini. I bought so many liqueur. I kind of have like a mini bar now, you know, I you, you I think you've seen my basement store area. Oh, you have like a fucking you have like a mausoleum to liquor. It's like it is crazy. Yeah, it's. Yeah, you have like multiple draft beers, a whiskey library is what I would call it. <laughs> so uh, teenagers, if you're looking for a house to break into for a quick buzz, <laughs> my, I, I think the, I think the point here, though, is that that the 40 bottles of vodka is equivalent to 113 bottles of wine. Or 436 pints of beer. So if you take that 436 pints of beer, you divide it by 365, that gets you 1.19 pints per day. And your pint, your standard pint is going to be about 16.9 ounces, roughly half a liter. So it's I drink generally I I don't drink soda because I've had issues with my blood sugar. Well, you should drink diet soda then, just no or zero sugar soda. I do, I do not like sugar substitutes. Have you tried them? They're really good, man. They set they taste just like the real stuff. No, they don't. Okay. They taste gross. For me, they do. I, I, I think the technology has gotten better. The technology has gotten better. Uh, I can I can deal with stevia. Like I, I, I can deal with like the mixed sugar stuff. There, there's some kombuchas out there that'll do like some sugar and then some stevia. I can hang with that. Uh, kombucha is the closest to soda that I drink. 
but I, I, I drink alcohol um, ostensibly to manage my diabetes, which sounds fucking terrible. Yeah, first of all, alcohol. If you're recommending alcohol to be a solution to anything, I feel like that's how you know you might be an alcoholic. It's like, the, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> you're like, oh, you're having trouble with this here. Just have a beer or 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. Is your homework too hard? Have you tried? Have you tried liquor? <laughs> if your gas mileage is it? Hey, man, here, have some gin. Yeah. Gin and juice. Your credit score is down. Have some liquor. Yeah, right. Podcast doesn't have enough listeners. Turn to the bottle. I mean, honestly, that's what I did during this podcast. So, <laughs> um, no, I think, th- and this brings me to a Reddit question that has to do with alcohol. User Mason underscore 1022 asks, how much tequila does a Mexican restaurant go through on a weekend night? Um, it depends on how many seats the restaurant has. Like I, I came out of the restaurant and 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 alcohol industry, so no number is going to surprise me. It, it really depends on the number of seats that the uh, that the institution does, whether they're running specials, uh, whether they're using top shelf tequila or bottom shelf tequila. Yeah, there 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 are so many factors in play that I'm not even going to venture a guess. Well, that's good because I don't have an answer because I I looked into this and there and you are correct. There are so many variables because if you're at a shitty Mexican restaurant in like the Midwest, you might be drinking just margaritas just to have a good time at the shitty fucking restaurant, right? And you know, a, a decent restaurant that well tequila is probably going to be something like Hornitos or eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred is not bad, I would say. I've I've drank it before; it's not bad. Well, uh, that's what I'm saying. If you're at a decent place and somebody pours you a shot of you know eighteen hundred, ain't nothing wrong with that. What a lot of Americans don't realize is that your traditional, and I say traditional, your traditional tequilaries, just tequilaries. Well, your traditional tequila fare in America is you know jose cuervo gold which is uh, not actual tequila it. so right, right one thing right. that you should always look for and this is where we turn this from a question to just solid advice <laughs> make sure that any tequila you're purchasing is 100 percent blue agave yes 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 uh, there are actually a lot of varieties of agave out there and some of those varietals do end up in various mezcal formulations However, tequila, by definition, has to be 100% blue agave, and Jose Cuervo gold is not. So think of Jose Cuervo gold or silver as, uh, it's called Mixto, which is basically just tequila-flavored vodka, which is disgusting. It's like the fireball of the whiskey world, right? Like, Jose Cuervo is like that for tequila. I I think it's worse, because I don't think fireball's tricking anybody into thinking that it's just, like, this is what whiskey is. Mm. I'm not a big fan of fireball, so I don't don't consider fireball a respectable whiskey, personally. Uh, Well, no, it's it's absolutely not a respectable whiskey, (laughs) but it is. There's nothing wrong with drinking fireball. I think people should drink it. Well, no, of course not. Yeah, People should want. drink what they like to drink. I will say, if since we're recommending different tequilas, if you want like a cheap tequila that is affordable, but it still tastes great for your margaritas, I would 100% recommend Espelon Blanco. It is really good. So on one hand, this is a great question to have a discussion about tequila and the culture of, and the culture around yeah. drinking tequila. Yeah. I don't think it's something that we can answer without saying a specific restaurant. That's absolutely correct. No, that, that I've definitely tried to run this down yesterday, this week and today. Um, but I do have some facts about tequila consumption in the United States that may kind of point us in some direction. We will never be able to find out the actual number, but I just have some facts about tequila consumption. And then I'll make a, a quick tequila recommendation. Sounds 
sounds great to me. Uh, so in 2014, Mexican food was the third most popular restaurant type in the United States. About 8% of all restaurants in 2019, 2014 were Mexican restaurants. In, in 2019, retail sales of tequila in the U.S. exceeded $10 billion. Uh, wholesalers uh, and suppliers raked in $4 billion and $3 billion, respectively. Uh, and in, again, in 2019, more than just about 20 million cases of tequila were sold. So, but actually, the state that has the least tequila drinkers, or the, the state that drinks the least amount of tequila, is none other than Pennsylvania, my friend. The one you live in. That's so, not terribly surprising to me. You said you had a uh, tequila recommendation, and I am dying to get to that. Actually, this is this is the most basic bitch tequila recommendation ever. All right, First well, of all, co- cocktail recommendation. Uh, I'm going to recommend a Oaxaca Old Fashioned. I'm a big fan of those. I am a big fan of those. Uh-huh. So Oaxaca Old Fashioned, you're going to need some mole bitters. You're going to need an Anejo tequila, some mezcal, and some agave syrup. And then an, and then an orange for garnish. I definitely recommend it. So if anyone out there is at a uh, Mexican restaurant or looking to try this, it is recommended from both of us, I would say. Yeah. Uh, my tequila recommendation for you is if you're looking to step up from Jose Cuervo gold to a real tequila. Yeah. yeah. Jose Cuervo actually makes real tequila. So Jose Cuervo has a line called Jose Cuervo Tradicional. Mm. Uh, they make a white tequila and they make a reposado tequila. Uh, which is an aged, uh, which is an aged tequila. It's the, so that's it's the a, middle tier. Your your white tequilas are going to be unaged. Your uh, reposado tequilas are aged for at least three months. And then Anejo, I believe, is either nine months or a year. But they, they make a really nice reposado tequila and a, and a white tequila. And it just has a really beautiful minerality. It, it's it got all the flavors that you expect from a tequila. And it's like $4 more expensive than the mixed dough bullshit. So this is an easy upgrade for anybody looking to step up their game from taking shots at a college bar to taking shots at a grown up bar. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think that's great. I think it's a it's a, it's a good entry level into the te- into the tequila world if you have not really ventured there before. I think if we can end on a tequila recommendation, we would have done our job. We would like to thank our listeners for listening to this episode, and please to remind you, we are Wreck Your Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and we have a listener group. So if you feel so inclined, please join our listener group. We appreciate all the support that everybody has given us since we launched this podcast, and we would appreciate it if you would go on your platform of choice. Give us that five-star rating, maybe a few kind words. We're not begging. We're just letting you know. That's what helps us. Uh, And maybe tell a friend. You know, you don't have to, but we would appreciate it. Yeah. And if you're telling your friends about our podcast, maybe you should also mention Rick Reynolds. Uh, He has provided our theme song, United, from the album Portals in Progress, which is available also on iTunes. But you can find it like us on Amazon and Spotify as well. And if for some reason you can't wait between now and the next time you hear our lovely voices... Make sure that you check yourself and don't wreck yourself. We are united, but we're so far apart, and it won't change till we change. We are, but we won't. Oh. This episode was brought to you by Five Mimosas.